morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 132, and I am really, really excited to have on this week's guest, Mark Downey, the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Tech University. Uh, coach is, has been around for a, a while here, and he's, he's done a great job in numerous places, rebuilt a lot of programs, and I, I'm just really excited to to dive into his knowledge of the game and, and share his wisdom with us all. But of course, before we get going, first of all, we need to thank our founding sponsor. And I know on every one of these, I talk about COSAC Chiropractic. But let me tell you something, folks. I bet I've been a little bit sore the last few days. So I went in to see Dr. Kevin yesterday and I felt like a whole different human being after five minutes with Dr. Kevin. So I know I talk about this every single week. I, I went in yesterday. Dr. Kevin and Dr. Heidi took care of me. Go out and check out their practice if you're in the Omaha area, 144th and Maple. Give them a call, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, of course, you're on iTunes, so download, rate, review. Give uh, the pod five stars so that we can get the word out. Gain momentum in the ratings and help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Check out a penandanapkin.com website with thousands of pages of resources and notes and all sorts of goodies. And you know what? Let's just quit talking about that stuff, Coach. Let's let's start talking some basketball here. Coach Downey, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Marty. I appreciate you having me. And uh, I really enjoy your Twitter handle and, and your tidbits that you, you put out on Twitter. So thank you for that as well. Well, you know, Coach, anything I can do, uh, I appreciate the praise uh, you know, it's 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 just uh, it's just great for me to get to talk to to people who are a lot smarter than me, and and that's what I'm looking forward to here for the for the next sixty to seventy five minutes as we jump into this here. So, uh, Coach, um, you, you've had a great career so far. Uh, you still got a lot of career to go. Uh, so, so let's jump in. Let's jump right in here, Coach. Uh, you're, you've uh, you've done a lot of things, but you're you're kind of a little bit of a hidden gem uh, in the eyes of a lot of people, uh, folks that haven't heard about you. So, tell us a little bit about your your background, your basketball journey. Well, I, um, you know, it's I get to tell the the story again next weekend. I go into my high school hall of fame, so that's kind of neat that I'm getting to go back awesome. to Morgantown, West Virginia. Congratulations! Uh, the home of thank you, the home of West Virginia University, and uh, probably see Coach Huggins while I'm back there, and some other friends, Mark Richmond, uh, who's the head coach at Notre Dame College, but um, Chris Richardson at Wheeling College, a lot of a lot of guys that uh, have come up through the business with, but. Um, I, uh, I played at a small school, uh, St. Francis High School. I, my family, I'm the baby of six, uh, kind of found basketball on my own. I'm not sure how it happened. Uh, my family was athletic, but no basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, fell in love with it, and uh, it's taken me to many different places. And I got to play at Wheeling College for a couple years and then transferred to the University of Charleston, both in West Virginia, um, Mountain East Conference uh, for foes now but it used to be the west virginia conference and i uh, played there and then you know the journey started uh, my first boss uh you know he's still probably one of my greatest mentors today along with my college coach greg white but uh dave davis was my first boss at barton college in wilson north carolina and you know when when i need something um or you need advice uh greg white and 
and uh, Dave Davis are the first two people that I, I call. So um, just great influences on my life and great influences on my coaching career and, and always have uh, the right things to say. So um, that's where I started. I, I went after Barton. I went back to Marshall University in West Virginia uh, where Greg White had just gotten the job after spending a year at UCLA with Jim Herrick. Uh-huh. And um, was the <laughs> it's funny because now you know Division ones they've got GAs, ops guys, uh, <laughs> video guys, special assistants to the head coach, and I like to tease people when I hear that because I was what they called the administrative assistant, and uh, there was nobody else. I was the GA. Uh, I was in nine hours a semester. I was the video guy. I was the ops guy. I was the travel guy. I was the camp guy. Uh, I did all those things uh, in my two years at Marshall, but I wouldn't trade them for the world. It was uh, a great time to be there and, and mm-hmm. got to coach some really good players. was on staff with Steve Snell, who's at NC State, uh, Brian Poor, the head coach at West Virginia State, and then Greg Marshall. Uh, uh-huh. Everyone knows Greg Marshall from Wichita State. So that was our staff, the four of us and Greg White. So um, a great staff right after me came a lot of other legends in the business now. Jeff Bowles at Ohio University came on at Marshall right after I left. Uh, Kevin Keats came on, at the, now the head coach at NC State. Uh, John Brandon played for us, who was the head coach at Cincinnati. So a lot of people came through Marshall University and uh, in, in those, those years. And uh, great to have those contacts as well. So... Went junior college after that and, and worked for a great man named Chris Jams that uh, has been really good in the business and just got the job at Mississippi State and um, found my way back to Coach Jams at Bowling Green years later. and um, We had a great year at Bowling Green. I was there as well. and Unfortunately, uh, we got let go after one year with, with Coach Jams uh, having a, an incident that uh, you know caused us to lose our job. So mm-hmm. I'm glad he's rebounded from that. And uh, he's doing great again, and had a lot of success at New Mexico State. So, yep. I've been at been twelve years as a Division One assistant, and um, you know this is shoot, I don't know year fourteen or fifteen as a division or as a head coach. I spent two years as a head coach at Independence Community College in, in Independence, Kansas, back in the late nineties, ninety nine to two thousand one, and uh, then I spent five years at the University of New Orleans for Monty Tao, who is a, a basketball legend in his own right, yep. uh, winning a national championship at NC State. Yep. And uh, then I found my way to Arkansas Tech in, in 2006 and had a ton of success. We rebuilt the program. I think that's kind of become my MO. Uh, my record isn't terrible, but my record isn't like, you know, I'm not winning 80% of my games and mostly because I've never taken over a program that was in great shape. I've yep. always taken over programs that needed you know, they might have had some past tradition, but they were in bad, bad places. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our deal has been turn losers into winners. And um, now this is, you know, it's funny. Uh, I always tell this story, too. Um, but the late Don Meyer um, always used to say that uh, human beings, college basketball coaches, have four rebuilds in them. Uh, that's all that's humanly possible. Uh, well, Mark, Mark Downey's on number six. Um, <laughs> so you're like an so Avenger, a, uh, an Avenger coach. You're, you're like Iron yeah, Man or something like that, yeah, or the Incredible Hulk here. I turned 50 in, in next month. So, um, like you said, I hope I still have a lot in me, uh, a lot of coaching left in me, but, um, you know, Tech was probably our greatest rebuild. Um, you know, they had never won a conference game a conference tournament game, uh, let alone a conference tournament championship or going to the NCAA tournament. 
uh, when we took over the job in 2006. Uh, but in 2008-2009 season, we won our conference tournament, uh, went to the NCAA tournament, won a game in the NCAA tournament, should have won two. We lost in overtime to Florida Southern, the host, uh, in the in the round of 32. Um but uh, the next year we started the year twenty five and zero, and, and mm-hmm. were number one in the country for seven or eight weeks, and then finished thirty and two. Got upset by Valdosta State in the NCAA tournament that year, and I don't think that was an upset. I think Valdosta was preseason number four in the country. Uh, they were loaded. Coach Helfer had a big time team over there, and and uh, they beat us in the NCAA tournament, and then went to the Elite Eight. So um, had you know just turned that turned this thing around here at Tech and. I left and went home to uh, Charleston where I played. Greg White had gone back to Charleston after Marshall, mm-hmm. and he had retired. And uh, the same president was there that I, when I went, as when I went to school. So they wanted me to come do what we did at Arkansas Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad had just passed away the previous summer. Yeah. And I felt like I needed to go home and be with my mother and be close to her. And, and uh, so I went back and spent three years there. And then it got crazy. Went to West Alabama for a year as a head coach. Uh, had great success at Charleston and West Alabama. Went, took them both to the NCAA tournament. Uh, West Alabama was the first NCAA tournament bid in 32 years. Um, after that one year, Chris Jans came calling again and um, <laughs> went to be the, the top assistant at Bowling Green. And, um, you know, that only lasted a year, but then found my way to the top assistant at Fort Wayne with John Kaufman, which was great for me. I learned a lot from John. Great offensive mind. And then wanted to be a head coach again and get back to the Midwest. Yep. So um, my wife and, and my kids, we decided to go to uh, Northeastern State. Tony Duckworth, who's now at Albany State as the athletic director, he uh, he hired me there at NSU and, and uh, followed um, some greats there. Um, you know, some great coaches at NSU. They've had some good ones and, and won a national championship there. Uh, they, they won one in, in 2003. Um, and... and Spent three years there and kind of turned it around. I think our third year we won 18 games and had a really good team in the MIAA. And, um, you know, and then Tech opened. And, uh-huh. um, you know, Tech had fallen off a little bit. And they wanted, wanted, wanted us to come back and try to try to rekindle some of that success we had when I was here in the late uh, 2010. So um, here we are. We're in year three, going into year three. Uh-huh. Uh, we didn't anticipate COVID. Uh, that's kind of thrown us off a little bit. We've had two, what I would say, subpar years. Um, I thought we had a team last year that could compete to win a championship, and um, we had some unfortunate things happen with some guys with COVID and injuries and yeah. ended up just having an okay year. But if you're in it long enough, that stuff's going to happen. Yep. So yeah, here you, we are. You, you have the team you, together for year three. Yeah, you have those, If you, like you said, if you do this long enough. You have a you have a uh, you know two or three years where everything just goes absolutely perfectly, and then you have those two or three years of just you know Murphy's Law, and yeah, and uh, sure. yeah, been there, done that, coach. So that that both mm-hmm. that, that means we've both done this for quite a while. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you 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 know you kind of went through your journey here, and and like I say, you moved around a lot. I was. Uh, you know the stuff that you sent me here. I counted eleven different stops. I could be wrong. I, I teach history and not math, so don't trust right. my math too much. Uh, what have been uh, What have been a couple of uh, you know some of the pluses of of that much movement in your career, and and what have been some of the you know 
the downsides of it, the minuses of, of that much movement in a year. Let's start with the pluses. Well, you know, the, the, the pluses would be all the relationships. Um, just so many different people that I've met and worked with and in different athletic departments and different levels. Um, it's, and then just living in different areas and seeing different parts of the country. Um, I, I think that's been probably the greatest pluses of it all. Um, and then just learning from really good people, um, you know, the likes of Chris Jans and John Kaufman, those guys, um, you know, and then working for some great people, mm-hmm. you know, Stan Williamson, who, uh, was the, the AD at, uh, South or at West Alabama is now at Houston Baptist and, and, uh, just a great, great man, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, just being going back home to Charleston after leaving Arkansas tech and just being around family and being around people that I had been around before and, working at my alma mater that was a pretty neat experience too so um but but the relationships and just the contacts i guess you would you would say you know um just like being at bowling green you know dave raglan a very close friend of mine just got the evansville job and um you know just building those relationships and then seeing those people succeed and getting to know their families and just having those lifelong relationships that's what it's all about i i referenced dave davis at the beginning but one of the first things that he ever said to me as a college basketball coach, it was my first job. I was just out of college. Uh, my hair was on fire. I was ready to go to work. And he just told me, you know, hey, um, if you want to get rich, this isn't it. You know, he said, if if you do this job for any other reason than those 13 or 14 guys in the locker room, then you need to go do something else. Mm-hmm. It's not about the money. It's not about the prestige. It's not about it. it it's, you know, it's for these kids. It's to make a difference. And uh, I'll never forget that. It's one of the first things he ever said to me. And it's something I've tried to keep, keep in mind. And, you know, along with that, along with the relationships of, of the people that I met and the people I worked with, just all the players that I've been able to be around in different areas of the country. And, and uh, those would probably be the biggest pluses, you know, and then just the ability to adapt to any situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really helped my two boys. I have a 10 and a 16 year old, and, you know, uh, they're almost like army brats, you know, they've moved around <laughs> so much um, and they just haven't really met a situation that they can't handle, you know, yeah. uh, whether it's academically, socially, basketball wise, whatever, they've just, they've had to adapt. And I think that's what we've tried to, you know, obviously there's some negatives we'll get to, but we've tried to kind of push that on them. You know, hey, hey, you can you can thrive in any situation we put you in because you've been you've been through a lot. You've mm-hmm. moved a lot. You've had to change and adapt to your to, to your situation. So yep. I think those are the biggest positives. Yep. How about the downsides? Um, I, I try not to harp on the downside. Because, sure. Uh, understandable. Um, you know, the the the. When you go back and you try to say, we try to say no regrets. Um, we made decisions and we moved forward with them. Um, but when you look at it, you know, maybe it, maybe it did hurt my career. When I left Arkansas Tech in 2010, uh, the program was rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of made a name for myself in the Midwest. We were number one team in the country. My assistant, Doug Carlson, took over here and uh, he won four. Uh, they they won four conference titles and went to the NCAA tournament four more years after we left. So that made it six in a row for Arkansas Tech. And yeah. you know, you think you think about it. If if maybe I would have not said no to Charleston and stayed in Arkansas, and we would have 
you know, Chad Klein took over for Carl Skin when he left and went to Central Missouri, and he went to two uh, two of the next three years. He went back to the NCAA tournament. So mm-hmm. Tech went eight out of nine years. Yeah. And if if I could have stayed and, and had that success as well and maybe even gone into the Elite Eight a couple of years and made some runs in a national championship or even won a national championship, you know, who knows where we would be career-wise, you know? Sure. Um, but... I, when I think about that and I think about all the relationships that I made because I left, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to even regret. Sure. So, um, I, you know, I think some of those, uh, I, I think that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but you can think about sometimes, Hey, maybe the negative is that, uh, I, I didn't just get my, just grind, just grind it out somewhere and uh, stay for a while. And, and, and the other thing is we built all these programs, but we didn't always stay around to reap the benefits of what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we kind of built it and got it to where we want it and then took off. Yep. And um, I think that's where this play, this time it's different. Um, you know, we came back to Arkansas Tech and, and I say we a lot, you know, when we came back, we were a we, you know, I, I, my wife and I split uh, about a year and a half ago. So, um, you know, it's just kind of me and my boys now uh, on this venture, this coaching venture. But, um, you know, I'm going to be at Tech for a while. I've got an ele- my, my son turns 11 on Thursday. And, um, you know, just with the ties, with the divorce and all that stuff, we'll be here for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to want to try to build this thing back into a national power and then stick around and, and reap the benefits a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, like I said, uh, y- your resume – uh, you, you, it was just awesome. Like, I, I, uh, thank you. I, it, you know, I just love the way that you put it together. Um, and I, I told coach this off of, off of, while we were talking before, uh, it's, it's been a crazy day for me. I, I had enough time to kind of go through it to prepare for this. Uh, but you know, it is just terrifically put together really well, or I'm a sucker for a, a great form, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I really like the way that you did it. Um, you know, how important is it in that initial sell of yourself to, to put together a quality resume, not to just throw something together? Describe the process of what you did to, to put together your resume, which I think uh, off my printer today, it was 14 pages long. Um, yeah. it, you know, so... And, and it's just extremely professional. It's, it's just terrific. So, uh, you know, you know, just describe the process of for, for any coach. How important is that first impression of a resume, especially when you're uh, when you're, you know, kind of cold applying to a place and they don't know who Mark Downey is. And but, yeah. but here I am. And, and, and here is here's an idea of who I am before you even meet me. Yeah, it's um, you know, what's. It's kind of in a process, you know, when I got into the coaching business, I was trying to find a job. You know, I didn't play for, you know, Krzyzewski. I didn't play for Huggins. I knew some of those. I, I knew Coach Huggins. He recruited me out of high school, um, you know, but I didn't play for those guys. I didn't come from a basketball family. Or my you know, father didn't coach. Um, so when I started applying for jobs, my dad thought, hey, we need to do something, Um to make you different, make your piece of paper different. So mm-hmm. it kind of started back then. I had a twofold, you know, resume that really didn't have anything on it except, you know, what I had done as a player and what I had done, you know, uh, with some camps and things. But it was a twofold resume where you opened it up 
and uh, it was almost like a resume book. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was, you know, back in in the mid '90s, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when when there really wasn't a lot of portfolios and things like that. So, um, but then after I had some success as a coach, um, my friend Damon Stevenson, who used to be in the coaching business, and um, you know, he was with Greg Marshall at, at Winthrop and spent some time with Bart Lundy at, at uh, High Point and. Um, you know, he's been around the block a little bit, coached some high school basketball. And he, he looked at my resume one day and said, man, like you've done some impressive stuff. Like this is pretty impressive. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, well, you know, we've won wherever we've been. We've, we've built programs. And he's like, no, he goes, he goes, you, you could, you could sell this. You, you could, you, you should get a job. You should be a D1 head basketball coach. And I'm like, well, you know, I hope so one day. And his wife is a great in graphic design. Uh, she worked a long time at Flagler College in, in, in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, and that's where they lived. And uh, he goes, I'm going to get my wife to put some things together. Send me some coaching pictures and some family photos of you, and then uh, we'll start working on this thing. So we started throwing this thing together. And the next thing you know, he had this portfolio basically for me and um, she did an amazing job on it. Um, she's never, she's never charged me a dime. Um, I've tried to help them out in ways that are, that I can help them out. But, um, she would update it every time I moved jobs and, um, it's been amazing. She just, she, she put together an amazing booklet and, um, you know, it, I think it's huge. I think that, um, you know, that, like you said, that first impression is so important. And, um, you know, there's so many coaches out there that have done a lot of really good things, but people don't know who they are. And, mm-hmm. and even when they apply for jobs, sometimes people don't understand what they've done because mm-hmm. they don't look at their look at their uh, resume because it doesn't stick out. So uh, when you get a color resume with pictures in it and philosophy in it and you know and you try to bullet point all of your successes and what you've done um it just i i think it's especially in this day and age you know Mm -hmm. the social media world and um all of just how everything is so convenient um something something's got to stick out when they see you uh, it just has to stick out. We talk about this at our elite camps all the time. Like we get so many emails every day from players. Um, it's almost impossible to see it, to read every one of them. Um, but you've got to do something in that email to stick out. And I feel like it's the same way with that resume. When, when I send out the resume, uh, even if they just say, Hey man, that, that booklet was unbelievable. You know, you're not qualified for what we're trying to do, but that book, was was unbelievable you know um just for them to stick out and remember that i think that's huge mm-hmm. what's uh obviously to to have the the movement that you've had you've you've had to do a lot of networking what's the key to developing or what are some of the keys i should say there's not just one I'm, but in your opinion what are some of the keys to developing a a strong network of of coaches not only for the purpose of getting a job but just having people in the business that you can talk to that you can relate to that you can that you can pick their their brains a little bit on hey here's where I'm at with my team we're we're struggling with this and this and this or whatever it may be uh how do you how do you uh put that network together and and how do you keep that network strong coach well i think it's just uh, the one thing that i'm so huge on is loyalty 
um, you know, that's that's the biggest thing for me in this business is just being loyal to people. Um, and then connectedness, you know, um, trying to be genuine in our in relationships, you know, and you know as well as I do as coaches, sometimes we get busy and uh, we don't connect with the people that we, we do have a, um, you know, a relationship with or even just a, a, a friendship with. We don't get to talk to them as much. We don't get to connect as much but um, as we'd like to sometimes. But uh, I try not to just, you know, call or text people when I need something. Uh-huh. Um, what I've really tried to do, and I probably do just like everybody else does. And I think in the coaching business, you kind of, it's kind of understood that, Hey, I might not hear from somebody until they need something. And that's, you know, some people take offense to that, but that's, you know, that's kind of what coaching is about, especially someone with a big, you know, with, with, with a lot of contacts with that know a lot of people. Yep. Um, it's hard to stay up with everybody, but what I try to do, like just and been trying to be very um, cognizant about it lately. Uh, if I think of somebody, uh, if they come across my mind, I just shoot them a text. Yeah. Like, hey, man, I was thinking about you today. I hope you're doing well. And that'll start a conversation. And, you know, um, I, I, you know, my college basketball coach used to tell me all the time, he used to walk into my office and two things he would always say, this was before text messages. This was back in the, in the, in the mid to late nineties, but, uh, before cell phones really, but he would come in and say, Hey, what'd you do today to make martial basketball better? And then the second thing he would say is, do you write five people today? So he, you know, he wanted every day to, for, for us to write five people, a, a handwritten note. And then, you know, what did we do today for martial basketball? And that's something that, you know, has always stuck with me. So now it's a little bit easier to do that. You know, you don't necessarily have to write people five times a day. Although, you know, if you write someone a handwritten note, that's a great thing. But, you know, if you just text message five people uh, that you thought about today, uh, just to stay connected. And, um, you know, even with the people that, um, um, you know, that, that make calls for me, um, the Matt Painters, the, uh, the Bobby Huggins, you know, just, you know, once every two or three weeks to just reach out, you know, coach, I watched your game last night, man, you know, tough one, or uh-huh. man, that set you around late in, late in overtime was incredible. Um, you know, just something, just reach out and it takes you, thir- you know, 30 seconds and uh, might start up a conversation. Those guys might not always want to talk, so they might be like, hey, thanks, coach, hope you're great, you know, but you know, they think about you and you're on their, you're on their mind and they, they know that you're, uh, that you care about them. And, um, it's just good to do that. I try to do that with players too, with former players, just haven't heard from somebody in a while comes across my mind. I just try to shoot them a text just to say, Hey man, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're good. love you. Um, uh, how's the family, you know, just something, um, just to stay connected. And, um, I think that's, that's just the key, you know, um, uh, being genuine, being loyal, and, and trying to stay connected as much as you can. I probably have three, 4,000 contacts on my phone, so it's not always that easy. I'm, I'm sure I leave some people out, but, uh, but that's what it's all about. It's all about those relationships. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, 
I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, there's there's a couple of things that uh, really jumped out at me as I was reading through your, your resume. Uh, two phrases. High standards of excellence is the first. Let's talk about that one first. You know, creating a high standard of excellence. How do you create a high standard of excellence within your program? Constant accountability. Um, you know, uh, one person that I've become pretty good friends with and, and my ex-wife, uh, if you don't know this story, it's another crazy story, but my ex-wife uh, gave Billy Gillespie his kidney that saved his life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I did. Oh, that's awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've known Billy for 25 years, ever since I was at Independence Community College. But, um, you know, over the past five years, I've, I've gotten to know him a lot better. And, um, you know, sometimes Billy gets a bad rap and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, has some enemies in the business. But um, I've gotten to know him pretty well and we have a strong relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I, between him and Chris Jans, I'm not sure uh, there are any two better people in the country at holding their guys accountable for playing so hard. Um they just, they, they do not, there, there's, I mean, that accountability, there, there's, there's no gray area. It's you do it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wish I was as good as both of those guys that doing that. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at it, but, uh, you know, those guys hold those guys to such a high standard. Um, they're, you know, if you're not giving everything you got and giving your best on every single possession, every single second of, uh, every day, it's not good enough. Um, mm-hmm. It is expected. And that accountability, I've had some of my assistants say that, that I'm decent, I'm pretty good at that. And that's, you know, and it's top to bottom. Uh, we try not to, uh, you know, let the better players in the program, um, you know, get by with anything. You know, it's it's accountability. And my college basketball coach, Greg White, used to say everybody eats the same cheeseburger. I mean, it's um, <laughs> I like that it's one. Just the way, yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, it, it um, it's a, a constant level of accountability. Um, and you know, I always go back to I'm from Morgantown, West Virginia, which is about 50 miles below uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm a huge black and gold fan in every sport. Um, but you know, the Steelers talk about the standard and Mike Tomlin talks about the standard and, uh, it's just expected, you know, this is, this is how we do things. Um, you're going to be held accountable at this, this high level and, uh, we're not going to settle for anything less. And, um, you know, that's part of building our culture and part of what we're doing and fighting for that culture every day. And, uh, we're in the process of doing that now. And I think, even though our record didn't show it last year, I really think we made a lot of strides in, in that level of excellence and that, that, that culture that we're trying to build um, in the locker room. And I'm really excited to see the benefits uh, next year as we put this new group out on the floor. So I, I really think that I think it's just a, it's just a constant level of accountability. Um, and, you know, you have to define what excellence is. You have to define 
you know what what's your tr- what the standard is what you're trying to get to um but it's just expected every day and eventually it rubs off and we tell recruits this we tell recruits that hey you know off the floor i'm i'm fun to be around i'm you know, I, I try to try to be lighthearted, and and uh, but when we we step between those lines, uh, it's time to go to work. And there's a certain level um, that we expect you to, to get to and stay at every day. And mm-hmm. uh, we we want everyday guys. We we want guys that know that standard and and uh, hold to it every day. And eventually, that rubs off. That culture rubs off, and we don't have to do it as much because the guys expect it of each other. And um, you know, they, they take my personality and, and, and it permeates throughout the team and onto the floor. Yep. Um, the, the other phrase in, in my quick parouse of things that jumped out to me was building people. And I love that phrase, building people. Uh, I can kind of imagine what the definition of it is, but, but you know, tell us about it, Coach. What, do you, what, do you, what are you saying when, you're, when you say building people? Well, I kind of stole that, um, you know, Jim Herrick had a pretty big influence on me. You know, he went to the University of Charleston where I played, and he would, you know, they won a national championship in 1995, the year I graduated from Charleston, and he used to come to speak at camp every summer. And then Coach White went to work at UCLA. My my college coach and boss at Marshall went to work for Herrick, you know, right before I interviewed with Herrick twice. I interviewed for him when he was at Rhode Island. Both times he was able to hire his son and I didn't get the job. <laughs> well, that's just, uh, that's just a bunch of baloney. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. yeah. Both times at, at Rhode Island and Georgia, I interviewed with him to, for jobs and uh, both times he called and said, Hey, they're allowing me to hire Jim Jr. I'm sorry, but, I'm, but I understood that. And, um, you know, he used to steal it, and he kind of stole it from Wooden and put it in his own words. But, mm-hmm. you know, some, some people build houses for a living. Some people build wealth for a living. Um, you know, we build people. That's what we do. And, um, you know, I think that's ever that, that's changed a lot in, in the 27 years I've been coaching college basketball. Um, and I've studied it more and more as I've, I've gotten older and gotten into this business, and times have changed. Um, but I used to say, you know, coaches coach out of, you know, there's a lot of coaches that coach out of fear and there's a lot of coaches that coach out of love. And, um, I used to say all the time that, you know, those, the best coaches do it out of both, mm-hmm. you know, they, they coach out of fear, but they also coach out of love. And I've even changed lately. Because um, Coach Huggins just tell me all the time, you know, people, you know, I, I get on my guys really, really hard, but they always know how I feel about them, and, and it, it, they don't, they, they don't mind it because mm-hmm. uh, they know how I feel about them. But I, I've gotten to the point here now that I explain it to my recruits and I explain it to my players now. I, I don't necessarily want to coach out of fear. Um, some 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 guys probably still think that I do. Uh, but I, I don't want to coach out of fear. I don't, I don't want you guys to be fearful of me. I don't want you to be, have any kind of fear of, of making mistakes. I, I don't really want that. I want to coach out of love. I want you to know how much I care for you and how much I love you. But let's get something straight. Just because, you know, I say in, over and over that I want to coach out of love, that does not mean that I can't hold you accountable and yell at you and get on you. Yep. Um, and... and um, so it's kind of evolved over the years and how we deal with that and how we're building those people. Um, but I, but I think it, 
it always goes back to relationships. The guys need to know. You need to communicate with them how you feel about them. You need to tell them that. We talk about it all the time. You know, the three words, I love you, we don't say them enough. Um, you know, the, the house that I grew up in, men, men didn't say that to each other. Um, but, you know, that's... Uh, I always go back to the phrase, you know, why do we buy flowers when people die? You know, why do we wait? Um, uh-huh. tell, tell those people, tell those people when they're alive, how much they mean to you and make sure that, that, that they know it. Uh-huh. And, uh, we try to do that as much as we can within our program. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to be hard on you. That doesn't mean there's going to be days that you don't hate me. Um, that doesn't mean there's going to be days we don't have fights in practice. Um, you know, that's, but, but families fight. Um, it's, it just, it happens. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we all know how we feel about each other, um, that's, what's most important. And that's what helps us build those people that we're trying to build. We want guys to come to Arkansas tech and believe in what we're doing, but we want to make them better players. We want to make them better people. We want to make them better fathers. We want to make them better husbands. And, uh, we want to prepare them for what's ahead. And, And that's not always easy. You know, um, going through a divorce is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But if it wasn't for all those coaches that prepared me for it, I don't know how I would have handled it. Yeah. And um, it, it's it's uh, it's common One, yeah. in some shape, way, form, whatever. It, it, those those times in our life, that, that adversity, those tough times are coming. And hopefully we can, you know, prepare our guys for not only those, but for the great times as well. You bet. You bet. Well, speaking of great times, I'm guessing that one of the best times of your life, and this is a first for a a, a pin and a napkin here, Coach, is I get to talk to a legitimate Hollywood superstar here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, one of the things that, again, I I would have never known this without the resume, but uh, you were a character in a major Hollywood film. Um, and, and not only that, for us basketball nerds, uh, you know, a, a, a high-profile basketball movie called Glory Road, uh, where you yeah. played uh, one of the players from uh, Adolf Rupp's uh, 1966 uh, University of Kentucky team that, of course, lost to Texas Western in the national championship, na- team, uh, national championship game, now known as UTEP. Um, but uh, you got to be part of a, of a legit big-time Hollywood production. Uh, tell us what that experience was like. Well, again, something else that, um, you know, basketball allowed me to do. Um, I was a coach at the University of New Orleans at the time. And um, 2003, 2004, somewhere in that that, that realm, um, at that time there were no production taxes on movies, television, whatever, in the state of Louisiana. So a lot of the... TV companies, movie companies were building warehouses, were building production companies, whatever you want to say, in in the state of Louisiana and New Orleans. So Disney was going to shoot the movie in Baton Rouge and um, New Orleans. And uh, the name of the guy, Mike, I can't remember his last name right now, but he came in to do a casting call at the University of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And he called us and said, hey, can we use your gym? Um, we need to find about 60 or 70 white guys uh, that can play, uh, that we can film in this movie. And, and at the, you know, if you know the movie, white guys was a big deal um, yeah. because yeah. it was a racially motivated movie about, you know, 
the five guys that um, the, the starting five in the national championship game from Texas Wesleyan were African Americans, and um, you know the, the teams that they predominantly played were mostly white. Yep. Um, what's crazy is in the city of New Orleans, there's probably not sixty or seventy really good white players. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so they ended up having to import some guys for the movie, but at the time when they came in. Um, I was in really good shape. I was playing four or five nights a week. I was in my early 30s. Um, and we were running camp at the time. So I had on basketball gear and had a, you know, my summer camp haircut. And I looked like a, a player from probably the <laughs> mid 60s at the time. And um, when we met to do the casting call, Mike got sat us all down. He said, Hey, I'd, I'd like all of you guys to somehow be in the movie you know whether it's as coaches or players or whatever and you know he i was one of the first people he met so he he kind of said to me uh you know we'd love for you to play play a player in the movie and whatever and i just said hey yeah that'd be great and uh when he called me back he said hey you know can you want to be on the kentucky team and i was like yeah why not and uh you know it, it felt pretty good um at the time i was single and and um they filmed our part of the movie in about a 10-day period uh, in August. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually a downtime where we can take vacation. So I just took vacation, and we filmed our part in Baton Rouge, and it was pretty cool. I mean, all the people that were in the movie were part of that that, that time, and that's the shooting of those those scenes. And John Voight, um, a legend in Hollywood, was our was Adolph Rupp. Yep. And um, it was really neat that he was our coach, and he was always in character uh -huh. um you know tim floyd uh had just recently been fired by the new orleans hornets uh -huh. um and he he worked for um utep and worked for um oh coach haskins that program yep. yeah had worked for him and um he, he, so he was kind of a consultant on the movie so he was around all the time um one day during the shooting um of our scenes in the game, the championship game, um, Pat Riley came to set and he sat in the bleachers and spoke with us for about an hour and a half and wow. just told us all about each player and um, what our nicknames were and how we played and where we were now and what we were doing, you know, and, and it made it allowed us to reach out to our, you know, to the people that we played in the movie and get to know them a little bit as well. And, um, John Boyd was awesome, though. He was in character all the time. So uh -huh. my my name was Tommy Cron, but my nickname was Crash. And because uh, I guess I played pretty recklessly and took charges and <laughs> dove on the floor all the time. So they called him Crash. And uh, I was known as Crash to John Boyd um, the whole time I knew him. You know, uh -huh. uh, every time I'd see him at dinner or whatever, it was Crash. It wasn't, you know, Tommy or Mark or whatever. It was I was Crash. So, uh -huh. um but just getting to be around all those people, you see them all over the movies and TV shows now. Um, you know, uh, Josh Lucas was, um, you know, he played Don Haskins. Yep. Um, uh, just so many different people. Yep. Um, Bobby Joe Hill, uh, that was Derek Luke, who played in Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. um, his girlfriend in the movie was uh, Tatiana Ali, who was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's little sister yep um you know all those people yep. uh, don haskins wife was played by the late the woman i can't remember her name but she's on the show the television show bones um and is the main character on that in that television series 
you just go down the line. There's so many different people that we got to meet and be around. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity and um, just a neat story to tell. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I got to thinking and I scratched out uh, my personal top five basketball movies of all time is, yeah. is what I scratched out. So, so Mark, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. Um, and, and I'm going to start from five to one here. All right. Yeah. Number five, yeah. you, you, you crack the top five glory road being the top, you yeah. know, that's number five. All right. Uh, number four, white men can't jump. Yeah. Okay. Classic. Yeah. Number three, hoop dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Great documentary. Yep. Number two, Blue Chips, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, probably the most authentic basketball, just kind of flowing and letting the guys play type of movie. And then, of course, right. n- number one's a no-brainer. It's it's Hoosiers, yeah. it, you know. So, Hoosiers, yeah, it's yeah. the best movie of all time. So, uh, um, <laughs> honorable mention, though, I, I couldn't fit it in my top five, but honorable mention, are you ready? Teen Wolf. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which allegedly took place in Nebraska, uh, but oh, wow. yeah. So, uh, but hey, Coach Finstock, you know, I mean, you, you got to have uh, you know Adolph Rupp and Don Haskins. You know, Michael J. Fox got to be coached by maybe the most legendary coach on on the silver screen ever, Coach Finstock, uh, the yeah. one of the wisest people <laughs> ever. So, um, no doubt about it. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. I, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think Glory Road was a good story. Um, when I saw it, I thought it would be a little bit better and I'll tell you why. And when I saw coach, um, Floyd a little bit later, um, you know, maybe two or three months later, he was actually interviewing for some jobs and he'd come by the office all the time at the university of new Orleans. And we got to talking about it one day. Um, but if you, you went through all those movies, mm-hmm. um, and if you think about any good sports movie, um, what usually happens, remember the Titans, Hoosiers, um, all of these movies become great sports movies because the team comes together and they usually buy into the vision of the coach. Yep. Um, and that's what makes them a great movie. Um, in Glory Road, there was some Hollywood that went on. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. and, it, and it didn't, and, and things, these things didn't happen. Yeah. Um, if you remember in Glory Road, Bobby Joe Hill goes to, uh, goes to Haskins and says, hey, man, you're not letting us play our game. You need to let us play our game. You know, our game's different. We play different. We play in the streets, you know, da 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 And that was all Hollywood. Yep. Um, and it, it, it caused Tim Floyd to, to hate the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that never happened. Yeah. Um, they did start five black guys in the national championship game, but those guys came together under coach Haskins and bought into his vision. And that's the reason they were so successful. And I think that, that, that got lost in the movie. It was like, you know, coach Haskins kind of let them go and let them do their own thing. And then, Oh no, they won the national championship. And Mm. that's not really, that's not really what happened, but Hollywood thought that was a better story than them buying into coach Haskins vision. And, uh, you know, because Coach Haskins was another guy that was really a, an accountability guy. You know, he held guys accountable. He was difficult. He was hard. And uh, that kind of got lost in the movie a little bit. But still a good movie and a great story. Yep. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. 
In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Coach, at this time, we're going to transition a little bit. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to go into our John Wooden quote of the day, um, and uh, you know, we I pick out a, a quote from the Wooden book, uh, Wooden: A Lifetime of Observations and Reflections on and Off the Court, and uh, going to throw the quote out here, and feel free to comment on it if you would like. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. All right. So, from Wooden, uh, A Lifetime of Observations, from page thirty-six. I believe the greatest joy one can have is doing something for someone else without any thought of getting something in return. And I think that's the essence of coaching, Coach, is you you give yourself away, you give yourself to the team uh, to help these young people, like you said, to build people and, and... if you get something back, great, but but our purpose needs to be to to build those people up and not expect anything in return. No doubt about it. Um, no doubt about it. Uh, I think that that's, again, uh, I referred back to earlier, why we get into business. Um, it's just to, to make a difference, um, again, and not expect anything back. You know, I, I think coaches get a bad rap sometimes, too, because uh, – you know, everyone wants to pay players now. Everyone wants to get in the NIL. Why? Because the coaches are making all the money. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> the top 1% of the coaches are making all the money. Yeah. Um, you know, guys like me, I mean, I'm not getting rich. Uh, I'm not hurting either, but I'm not getting rich. Um, most coaches, 95% of the coaches that get into this business don't don't get rich. Um, they're doing it to, to make a difference for the guys that walk into their gym every year. And uh, it, it's a great opportunity to get to be something to them that maybe they don't have. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also a chance for, you know, the reason – the reason that we're all here in my eyes is, is, um, is faith, um, is, is a chance for us to be able to, you know, maybe, maybe share something with them that, that causes them to find, uh, to find God and find, find something, um, you know, that that's become very important to me. And especially in the last four or five years, um, to be, to use my platform to, uh, hopefully share my faith and, and help somebody that might need that uh, within our program. And, you know, one of the greatest joys of my life, and and that quote signifies it, um, you know, when I met my ex-wife here in Arkansas back in 2006, um, she had a six-month-old. And um, he's now 16. And I've raised him since he was six months old. And, and, um, now we're not even, you know, we're divorced and we're not even together. But Bryce, uh, my 16-year-old, is, is still my son, and 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 I've never, never expected anything in return. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's that's one of the greatest joys of my life. So, yeah, I think that does exemplify exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely, Coach. Um, 
You know, Coach, let's uh, let's switch gears up here a little bit. Let's jump into your kind of X's and O's philosophy here and, and the way you coach the game. And uh, a definitely big theme, uh, if, if we're going to watch a Mark Downey team play, it's going to be about defense and, and what you what you call stingy defense. Uh, you know, Coach, you can tell that's a, a, a pillar of your program. The, the, the number one thing is to be able to defend well and to uh, – get stops and and all of these other different things here so so let's jump in with that right now this is probably what you're most known for uh so how do you develop this mentality of what you call this stingy defense uh how do you implement it um you know at this point coach what i do is is pretty much just let my guests kind of just kind of go here and talk about their philosophy and and if i've got a question i'll try to politely interrupt you and and throw something in there to kind of clarify or or ask a question that pops into my brain so so sure. coach tell us about your, your your defensive philosophy what you do how you do it how you implement it and, and some of the big things that you do with it well it's it's ironic um that my coaching philosophy has come to that um, because there's one reason that I'm probably going into my high school Hall of Fame uh, next weekend, and that's because I could score. Um, <laughs> it wasn't because I could guard. Uh-huh. Um, I was the West Virginia State, the, the, the leading scorer in the state of West Virginia my senior year, and average close to 38 points a game. And um, that's what I was known for, making making threes and, and putting the ball in the basket. So um, I wasn't a great defender. Um, I tried. Uh, but I think what I got really good at as a player is I was really good off the ball. Um, I wasn't great athlete. I didn't have great lateral quickness. Um, I, I really tried to improve in every way I could defensively. Um, I just didn't have that athletic ability. But off the ball, I knew that I always had to be where I was supposed to be. Um, I knew that I had to you know sacrifice my body and take charges and win loose balls and um, I had to give a little bit more than everybody else had to give just because I wasn't as good of, uh, as an athlete. So um, I think that's where it started. But I think um, as I went into my career and the, the people that I worked for early in my career, Dave Davis and then Chris Jans, and then, you know, I became a, a, a Bobby Huggins fan just because he was from West Virginia and played at West Virginia and um, recruited me out of high school a little bit uh, at Cincinnati. They were on probation and I was an invited walk on uh, at Cincinnati. And, you know, you, we, we talked about it before hindsight's 2020. Um, they only had seven or eight scholarships when I was coming out of high school and um, coach Huggins was trying to find guys like me, guys that probably weren't quite good enough, but, you know, scored a lot of points or did whatever, and he was needing those guys to be walk-ons. And I chose not to do that because I wanted to play. But that team I would have been on if I would have gone to Cincinnati was, you know, Nick Van Exel oh. and guys that played. They went to the Final Four. I was going to say, is that was that his Final Four team? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh-huh. Um, but that's how I developed a relationship with that staff as well. Larry Harrison, who's still with, with Coach today. So, at West Virginia. So just the people I worked for early in my career, the mentors that I had, uh, I followed, uh, as a matter of fact, the the way I got tight with Matt Painter is I followed him at Barton college. Uh, he was the assistant at Barton college the year before I got there in 1995. And then a buddy of mine from high school played with him at Purdue. And we just kind of struck up a relationship and became close and, and, and are close to this day. So, you know, Painter and Gene Cady and, and that influence, um, just studying those guys uh, is what brought me to, a, to, to being a defense and rebounding guy. And, um, 
you know, we start our philosophy is, is, uh, we start on an individual basis. We, uh, you know, working for Chris Jans, uh, guarding the ball is, is a big time priority. Um, so we do a lot of drills, uh, one-on-one drills, closeout drills, uh, every day in practice, they become staples of ours. Um, and really guarding the ball, especially in closeout situations and keeping the ball in front. And again, that's effort. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it's effort. There's a lot of technique that people don't, I tell you what, I work with a lot of kids now and just we're working with my own kids. Um, they don't get taught how to, how to defend on the ball, how to, how to move your feet, how to plant and push. Um, you know, you get the, the simple, you know, don't let your feet touch, don't cross your feet, all that stuff, but there's a lot more to it. And, um, it's not taught, uh, a lot. Uh, until these guys get to us uh, uh-huh. a lot of times in college. So we really try to, to do a lot of one-on-one drills and guarding the ball and keeping the ball in front uh, while applying pressure. And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's just something that is part of our accountability, part of something that if you can't do this, if you don't want to buy into this and you don't want to do it, then, then you're not going to be able to play here. And then what we do too is uh, we teach a little bit different. We don't really we, – we try to deny first pass – but after that, we are almost pack line. I mean, we're not pack line because we want to be up the line still. Yeah. Uh, we don't push baseline or we don't push middle. Uh, we don't really give anything, actually. But we play gaps mm-hmm. and we get high in gaps. And, um, you know, a big thing with us, we call the paint uh, no man's land. That's an old Gene Cady, uh, Matt Painter deal, Chris Lowry. That was the head coach of Southern Illinois for a long time. Um you know, we have a drill called no man's land where it's all, you know, if the ball gets in the paint, it's a score. It's just like scoring a basket. Um, so, you know, and, and the one thing we talk about on the ball is we want to push corners. So mm-hmm. what we mean by that is, you know, if we're guarding the ball in the wing, we're not going to give them baseline. We're not going to give them middle. We're not going to take something away. You know, early in my career, we were always closing that high foot on the wings and pushing baseline. And when I went to Fort Wayne and we did that at Fort Wayne and, and I had a lot of influence on this at Fort Wayne coach kind of hired me because he's an offensive guy and he wanted a guy that was more of a defensive guy on his staff. We were closing out high foot and, and kind of pushing it baseline. And what I found is, you know, we close out on the ball and a guy would get whipped off the bounce baseline. And for some reason back then in the summit league, a lot of people lifted their their motion was lifted and they were trying to attack baseline all the time. So we were getting attacked on the baseline and we were giving them that baseline. And then instead of getting mad at the guy guarding the ball, we were getting mad at the, the closeout, the uh-huh. help, the guys that were flooding. Um, you know, if they didn't do their job. Those were the guys we were getting mad at. Uh-huh. And I'm like, so, so my philosophy changed a little bit in regard to, okay, like there's got to be some more accountability and responsibility of guarding the ball. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Northeastern state and left Fort Wayne, I took away the high foot. I stopped doing the high foot and we were going to close out straight up and push corners. And what I mean by that, we push corners. So say if you're on the wing and you close out and your feet are square and your butts to the basket, your, your bottom foot, you're going to take a, you're going to draw an imaginary line from your bottom foot to the deep corner. And then from your top foot, you're going to draw imaginary line to the opposite corner of half court. So there's a line, there's a there's a dotted line okay, in your gotcha. body yep. that crosses the court. And 
you're not allowed to let your guy get inside that line if he tries to drive you. Uh-huh. So when you so if a guy tries to drive middle and you plant that that bottom foot and push, you want to push to that corner. You want to slide to that corner and show your hands so that guy can't turn that corner and get in the paint or get by that imaginary line. And what we have what we tell our guys is we're you know you're you're just there's no opening up. You see so many kids do that now. If a guy if you close out and the guy shot fakes and drives you, people just open up and let them go and then try to try to beat them downhill, you know, and you're beat by that time. If you open up, you're beat. So we just say, okay, there's that imaginary line. Your guy doesn't cross that line with the ball. And, um, you know, it, it's it's hard to do, but we really practice that plant push and those closeouts into that plant push all the time. We, we'll do some closeout drills where we close out to the wing and we'll put cones up that line, either in that deep corner or up the line towards half court. And they've got a plant push to that cone and touch physically touch that cone um, when when they close out. And um, it's just something that accountability on the ball and not opening up and letting them get downhill on you. That's that's something that we uh, we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's on the ball that I think people people don't realize a lot. And this is something that Coach Dan used to talk about all the time. We used to talk about a, a one length or a one gap. We call it a gap, but, but now we've called now we call it one length because gap they kind of get confused. But what we mean by one length is when you guard the ball, we want to pressure and mirror the ball, but you you want to be able to reach out and barely touch your your the guy the ball handler. Okay, so if you if you reached out with your mm-hmm. arm okay. in front of you, there's got to be that length between you and the ball handler. All right, because if he gets if the ball gets inside that length and there's a closeness to your body, he's going to go right by you. Yep. If, if, if you're, you're too close inside at that point. That length, he's gone. Yeah, yep. you're too close. Yep. You're too close. And what happens a lot of times and you'll see it in the NBA a lot during these games, especially with guys like Clay and Steph, like they'll catch the ball and dudes will be right up underneath of them. Well, uh, if you if you close out the Steph Curry right right up underneath of him, you're done. Yeah. Like he's going to go right by you. Um, and we talk about that a lot too, because we pick up the ball 94 feet. Um, so we talk about that in the 94 feet. We don't want anybody to get inside your length because if they get inside your length, if they get inside your body, they're just going to blow right by you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about that a lot with our guys on the ball. And we just talk about pushing corners and not opening up. And then big, the big thing is showing your hands. Mm-hmm. And we talk about putting our thumbs in our ears and showing our hands and, and, you know, if they try to break that line, then you just body them up and chest them and then try to try to regain your length mm-hmm. and uh, keep them from turning that corner. Mm-hmm. And then we build from there, you know. Um, we start talking about gaps, you know, one pass away, we're in the gaps. Um, we're, we're trying to build a wall. Uh, we don't want anybody to get in that paint. We want to protect the paint. You know, uh, our whole philosophy on offense and defense is the paint. Yeah. Because we count offensively, we talk about paint touch shots. Yeah. And that's something that I got from John Kaufman. Um, that's really the only analytic that we stick to. Um, we have goals, you know, 40 or 39% field goal percentage defense. We feel like if we can keep people below 40%, we're going to win. Um, you know, we have some rebounding goals that we talk about. Um, but offensively, one of our goals is paint touches. And we've, you know, so so on both ends of the floor, we talk about this. Really. Yeah. If we keep them out of the paint 
and we get in the paint, yep. we're going to have a good chance to win. We we and, uh, um, we do that too, Coach. We 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 call it Manhattan because it's the most yeah. valuable property, you know. Right. And no uh, and so we we just preach. Don't let them get to Manhattan. And then offensively, we literally have one drill we call Manhattan drill, where we practice on getting to Manhattan and then driving, getting two on the ball, making it spin, that type of thing. Yeah. So so it's right. it's different verbiage, but it's the same concept. No doubt about it. Yeah. That's what we'll talk about in, in when we get in the game situation. You know, our drill is called no man's land. So, you know, don't. Don't let them get the ball in no man's land. So that's all I really we, – we, we do that drill almost every day, and it's probably our most competitive drill. And during the game, we'll, we'll get – we need to stop. And no one gets to no man's land. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just yell no man's land. And these guys know that, you know, we're on the ball. We're sitting in the gaps where, you know, uh, we're really stingy. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to keep them from getting a, getting a clean look. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we want to contest 80% of every shots we work on contests, you know, um, you know, the, the, the beeline teams that uh, were at Michigan were really good at, you know, beelines had a really big influence on me as well. Being at West Virginia before Bobby Huggins, yep. uh, we've stolen a lot of stuff from beeline, but when he was at Michigan, um, you know, they really talked about contesting shots and that was, you know, they wanted 80%, they wanted eight out of every 10 shots to be closely contested so we we practice you know six inches outside their hand um contesting every shot we don't want to contest their eyes we don't want to run underneath of them we don't want to poke them in the stomach you know we're contesting (laughs) every shot six inches outside their hand we're going to hit the ground check them out and go get it yep um you know that's that that's really important to us as well um you know i talked about rebounding you know i've had one rebound one team that was my first year at Northeastern State where we really didn't have any post players, but I've had one team that's had a negative rebound margin in my career as a head coach. So um, that's that's really important to us. You know, we really, we we try to harp on, you know, every time the shot goes up, it's a fist fight. You, it's a fist fight with your man. Um, and, if, and if guys get called for, you know, illegal box outs, illegal checkouts, whatever it may be, then, then I'll usually clap. I'll usually applaud you. Um, you know, we want to be physical. We want to be stingy. Um, so every time a shot goes up, we, we say, go hit them, mm-hmm. go put a forearm in their chest and hit them. Yep. And, um, if they're on the perimeter and you're in help side, you take one or two steps towards them. And if they don't come for it, then you turn around with your hands up, your thumbs in your ears and you look for a long rebound. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those are kind of our rules on the glass. We usually send four guys to the offensive glass. We want to make that a big, big priority. Um, you know, we have a sign in our locker room that says more possessions and better possessions. Um, and, and what that means is, you know, when we look at the, when we look at the stat sheet at the end of the game, we want to have, um, 15, 16, 17 more shots than our opponents. So we want more possessions. How mm-hmm. do we get that? Uh, we don't turn it over. Uh, we create turnovers and then, um, we don't allow offensive rebounds and we go get offensive rebounds. Um, those are, those are the ways that we can create more possessions. And then once we get it, that's when we start talking about pay touch shots. And, yep. you know, we found it's, it's astronomical, you know, John Kaufman at Fort Wayne was the one that got me on the paint touches and, and I used to have to keep them during the game. And, you know, I have assistance now to keep it for us, but, um, 
you know, we want 75%. Now, we understand we don't usually count these possessions. When we run a set for a three or if we shoot a three in transition, uh, you know, our best shooter gets a wide-open transition three, we don't normally count those possessions towards our paint touches. But once we get into the, you know, we blow it up the court, we don't get anything, we get into our offense. The flow uh, possessions. You're just flowing and yes, playing. Yeah. Yes. We, we, we calculate those and we want, you know, 75% of our shots to be paint touches. Um, and it doesn't, it, it, there's been like one game in seven years that's, that that has been flipped. Um, but somewhere in the neighborhood, when we get a paint touch shots, we're, we're shooting somewhere in the neighborhood of mid sixties from the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, when we don't get a paint touch, we're shooting somewhere in the mid thirties or below. And it's, it's just crazy how it works. And, uh, we'll come in at half and we'll put it right on the board. You know, we, we were, you know, such and such out of such and such, and we were 65% on paint touches. And then when we got a paint touch shot, we shot 71%. And when we didn't, we shot 19%. And we'll put it right there on the board and say, all right, fellas, like numbers don't lie here. Mm -hmm. and it's like this every game. So, um, so yeah, so it comes down to um, just about every time we step on the floor, who's going to win the paint? We want to try to get it to seven now. We want to get more than three and a half. Um, so punches, some people call them kills. Um, it's three stops in a row. Uh, we want to get three stops in a row. So, um, you know, we have another coach when we, we usually have one coach keeping, keeping our uh, paint touches and we have another coach keeping our punches. So what it does for us is, is during practice, um, you know, we talk about getting three stops in a row all the time. You know, our, our no man's land drill. You've got to get three stops in a row to win the drill. And uh, if you look at my practice plans, a lot of times they'll be, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have them down to the minute. But we rarely stay on that because we have one or two one or two drills of practice where, and, and this is a Gene Cady, Matt Painter thing. And again, they didn't have the four hours back when Gene Cady was <laughs> coaching basketball. But, um, you know, they would do a drill until they finish it. So yeah. when we, a lot of times, especially early in the season, when we have no man's, we've, we've got about four or five drills like this, but no man's land is one of them. But when we do our no man's land drill, you got to get three stops in a row to win the drill. And we'll, we'll go for 45 minutes until someone gets three stops in a row. And we'll just, and you know, uh, it, it almost becomes a bloodbath. It almost be, but, it, but it, it's set in that culture. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I've had guys, you know, fighting tooth and nail with each other to try to get that third stop. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of becomes part of our culture, part of our mentality, part of that stingy defense is, you know, three stops in a row is important to us. So again, just like when we need to stop late in the game, we might say, okay, no man's land, you know, like, okay, this is, let's revert back to practice. Let's get that mentality of we got to get a stop. We got to protect the pain. But we also do that with punches. Our punch coach will be like, you know, in a timeout, he'll be like, we're at two, two stops. We're at two stops. Next stop's a punch. Mm -hmm. Or we can say that in within the flow. Mm -hmm. If we're, we're on a little bit of a run and we just got two stops in a row, the ball's coming up the floor, our, our punch coach will yell, next, next stop's a punch. Next stop's a punch. And our guys will be like, all right, let's lock in and get a punch. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, all part of our culture, our, all part of our, um, defensive mentality and that stinginess on, on defense. Do you think tying that all that together, Coach, and, and being that, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, being stubborn 
in these areas. Uh, it's a good stubborn. It's 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 a it's a, it's a very positive stubborn. Uh, there's negative stubborns, but this is a positive stubborn. It, it, do you believe that that is a, a big reason why? For example, uh, I, I believe at one point you were 18 and 10 in overtime games in your career, and you know you've you've figured out how to to win these these tough battles, uh, these close close games, and and fighting through that. Uh, it, it, do you believe that that's a, a big part why you've been able to to take those tough situations and and come out on top? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, even even the overtime thing. You know, we we play a lot of five minute games. Mm-hmm. Um, we will do that quite often. We'll, we'll usually do it two or three times a practice, where we'll play a five minute game. And um, sometimes we might, you know, sometimes we change it all the time. But sometimes we might say, okay, we're going to play a five minute game. Um, you know, White, you're you're up four with five minutes to go. And we play it from there. And, and sometimes we may say, okay, it's the end of the half. Sometimes we may say it's the end of the game. Um, sometimes we may say stuff like, okay, if someone turns the ball over, the game's over, you lose. One turnover in a five-minute game. If you turn it over, you lose, and the loser runs. You know, So we'll change it up all the time and how we do it. Um, but what happens is there's a situation at the end of every five minutes. You know, there's yeah. always a, a late game situation or end of half situation. We may play a five minute game and both teams have two timeouts left. So, you know, we play it to where I'm coaching one and my top assistant's coaching the other. And um, so then again, in another situation late in the game, they hit a buzzer beater. We'll sit down on the bench and I'll let the guys right in the eyes like, hey, fellas, we play three, four, five minute games a day. Like, mm-hmm. all we got to do is go win another five minute game. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it translates uh, very well into the overtime situation, mm-hmm. you know, especially when, you know, late in the year, um, as you get into practice, a lot of times you might have your first five playing against your second five or your first eight playing against your second six or seven. And, you know, those guys that are in the game, late in the game, in those five minute games, they're usually having their way with the, 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 the bottom six or seven in practice. So mm-hmm. you can look at them and say, Hey man, this is the black, you know, you guys are, you guys are the white team every day and you're the white team right now. And you win five minute games every day. You do it every day. So it, it, let's go do it again. You know, it's kind of just a mentality of we've already been here. We practice this. We know what to expect. Let's it's go familiar to us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. So uh, last thing, coach, um, one of uh, one of the things uh, I was really impressed with was your, your your six pillars, and you know helping build that culture and kind of tying everything that we've talked about here uh, the last hour and change. Uh, just just tying together your entire philosophy and and how did you develop those pillars and and why is that so important to have those concrete core beliefs as you as you build programs like you said you're you're on rebuild number six you violated the don meyer rule by two here so uh but but how has that helped guide you as as you as you not only build the overall program but you're leaving the for example you're leaving the the 21 22 team behind and now you've got the 22 23 edition of arkansas tech in front of you and and what are going to be those common cores and pillars that you're going to do to to continue to build that in in the positive direction well i think that the first one is 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 very important and 
Um, we talk about, you know, character with our guys all the time um, and making the right decisions and not embarrassing the program. And first of all, we don't really, we don't want to bring guys that, you know, really embarrass our university or our program. So that's it's kind of the only rule we have. You know, don't embarrass us. Mm-hmm. Um, Simple you, rule. You know, with your actions. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think what's important as well um, is if we're going to win at the highest level, um, we're going to need to have an unbelievable chemistry. Mm-hmm. And you can't have chemistry to win at the highest level if you can't if you don't have good character. Uh, it's just it's just the way it is. Um, I've coached for a long time, and the, the, the best coaches I've had, the 27 wins, the 30 wins, the you know the teams that have been the best and won championships. Um, we've taken four different teams to the national tournament, you know, whether it be JUCO or Division II. Um, you know, those teams that have gone to the NCAA tournament, um, they were just – they were great kids that loved each other. Um and they had great chemistry, and the reason they had great chemistry was that high character. So that's that's number one. We don't we don't want to take anybody that's going to fight us. We don't you know we don't want to take anybody that's um, that's going to be a headache every day. That's going to distract our team or distract our staff from what we're trying to do. Now that doesn't mean we won't take guys um, that are you know second chance guys or third chance guys or whatever it may be. We we will try to try to do that from time to time um, because I think that's, you know, I mean, that's why we kind of got into the business, right? We want to try to change lives and try to help people, um, you know, get their, get their act together or help them get their act together. And, and, uh, you know, but we have to believe that they've learned their lesson, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that character is, is very high on our list. Now, the second thing, um, you know, we want to be accountable every day, right above our right above our board um, in our locker room. It says "deserve success." This is a Rick Pitino thing. Yep. Um, you know, we just we believe that you deserve what you get and you deserve what you tolerate. And uh, accountability is just is huge in in that. Um, you know, if you can't, again, we go back to the standard. You know, um, there's a standard that we expect. Um, we're not going to deviate from that at all and uh we're going to be accountable and and um you know a lot of these tie into each other because we talk about deserving what we get later in our pillars but um but we want to be accountable for and again this helps us police our guys too and helps our guys police themselves um you know they get to the point where you know um, we, we can't just do this because coach told us this is, you know, they get to the point where it's like, Hey, um, this is not just what coach says. This is what we're about. This is, this is what we've got to do better. Uh-huh. Um, or this is, this is what we've got to do. So, um, you know, that, that second one being accountable for not only ourselves, but each other in the program, um, it's just, it's taking pride in what we're trying to do. You know, um, the third one is one of my favorite words. Um, you know, you, you say stingy, you say uh, whatever it is about our defense. Um, I love the word relentless. We just want to come at you and come at you and come at you. And, and really on both ends of the floor, um, you know, we talk about it all the time. People say, well, how do you play? What, what, what's, uh, what's important to you? And, and I think, 
you know, we want to be a team that puts pressure on you on both ends of the floor. And how do we do that? We're relentless. Uh, we -hmm. just keep coming at you, keep coming at you, keep coming at you. And, um, that word just resonates. We want to be relentless in everything we do. Um, whether we're on the floor or in the classroom. And, you know, we've had a lot of success with our guys graduating. I think last year we had close to a 3.2 GPA. Uh, we just nominated a bunch of guys for the NABC Honors Court. Um, so we've done a pretty good job in that area of, uh, of, of <clears throat> being relentless, not only on the court, but in the classroom. And then, you know, the fourth thing is we want everyday guys. Uh-huh. Everyday guys. Um we want guys when they come into our program to know that, Hey, we're going to go about it every day. And it goes back to what I told you about Greg White. You know, he walked in every day and talked about, um, he walked in the office every day and said, what did you do for Marshall basketball today? Um, and that's just, he, he taught me and he put that in me, uh, about what it is to be, um, uh, just an everyday guy, and and that's that's really important in our program. And again, part of the the accountability piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's important to us as well. Um, and then you know we've already talked about this deserving of our success mm-hmm. and learning from our failures. Yep. Um, that's just uh, you deserve what you get, and you deserve what you tolerate. Yep. So if you're 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 trying to put that forth every day, and and uh, again, part of part of us being an everyday guy, it's just that's that's what you get. And and I think this is a in sports, um, this is crazy, but it's almost a subconscious thing. It's um, it's sorry, I was pulling out of my driveway, and someone was saying hello, and I don't understand. I'm on a phone call. Um, <laughs> that's, my that's son, my youngest son, actually has basketball practice. So if you saw the bas- the, the door dinging when I got in the car, I apologize, but hey, that's I didn't all take right. The basketball practice, but uh, we'll go to the gym yeah, the, with you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but just you know, we talk about it with our guys all the time. You know, the extra work. What are you doing to make yourself? stick out what are you doing to help us win a championship you know or uh lenny acuff uh, a guy that you know in my last 15 years of my life has become a mentor for me now the head coach at lipscomb uh he was at alabama huntsville when i was here at tech the first time uh just a great basketball mind and a great basketball coach but he used to say it all the time there's three types of players uh there's a guy that uh, uh the guys that like it um you know they they like what the program gives them, uh, the gear, the social status, the social media status. Uh, they love game day. They don't necessarily lo- love practice, but they love game day. They don't necessarily love to work on their game, but you know, they like, they like it. Uh, then you got guys that love it. Um, those are the guys that, you know, they, they love practice. They love games. They work on their game. Uh, they like to watch basketball away from, uh, our own team. Um, you know, they just love love everything about it. But then you got guys that live it. Uh, and those are the guys that study film. They study the game. They want to be pros. They can't get enough of it. They're in the gym all the time. They love practice. Uh, they love being good teammates. Um, they, they dig into the scouting report. They just can't get enough of basketball. They either want to be pros or they want to be coaches. And Lenny Acuff said, 
you know, the best teams have a lot of guys that live it. You can't have guys that like it. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a lot of guys that live it. And then if you sprinkle and, and you know, re, the reality is you're not going to have 12 or 15 guys in a locker room that live it. But mm-hmm. if you get seven or eight that live it and the rest of them love it, you're going to be pretty special. And that's kind of what we talk about with our guys. We don't want guys that just like it. And we tell them that in the recruiting process. And uh, we say, you know, we want guys that live it. We want guys that want to be pros. We want guys that want to be coaches um, because those guys usually buy into what you're trying to do. And, um, you know, that goes back to that, that fifth thing, you know, deserving of your success. Mm-hmm. Um, when you step to the line with two seconds left and two shots down one in a championship game, in the back of your mind, you know, you already know if you deserve to make those shots or not. You already know it. When you raise up to shoot a three with three seconds left down two, you you know it. You you know whether you're supposed to make that shot. Do you deserve it or not? Your subconscious is going to play into that. And, um, you know, Steph Curry knows he's going to make those shots. He didn't make them the other night, but for most of his career, he's going to make them. He's made those shots because yeah. he is in the gym and he deserves to make them. And that's just how it, how it happens. So, yeah. And then the sixth one, we added this probably about seven or eight years ago um, because entitlement has become a problem in our society um guys we just didn't want guys that came into our program and thought they deserved to get something because they were there because they were basketball players because we recruited them um we wanted guys to be appreciative of what they had we wanted to be humble um and then excited for their teammates and excited for the success of others and um we felt like if if we got guys like that then the entitlement wouldn't wouldn't play into things but we don't want our guys on campus um believing that they should get special treatment because they're basketball players um we don't want them walking around like there's something special my dad I, you know there's a couple there's one thing i always remember my dad telling me and he said um and he said it to me multiple times but he told me hey i don't ever want you to think that you're better than anybody else because you're not but he looked at me and he said but the way I see it is I'll be damned if anyone ever gets the best of you. Yeah. And I have always remembered that and I've always carried that. And I, you know, um, I don't want to ever boast. I don't want to ever brag. I don't want to ever, you know, talk trash unless talk to. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my rule. Um, but when it comes down to it, um, I don't think I'm better than anybody, but let's, let's go toe to toe and see who, and compete and um that's what it kind of comes down how we kind of treat everything yep coach that's a do i i liken it i liken it to um creed 2 i don't know if you've seen creed 2 but i talk about this with our players all the time when you guard the ball or when you have the ball and it's one-on-one and you're trying to win a battle Think about Creed, too, when they went in the desert and trained, and they both had to step. Go ahead, bud. I'll be right in. They, they step inside the tire, and they, they, tie their, they tie their feet together inside the tire. And he's got he's to spar with the guy in the tire with him, and they can't go anywhere. It's, it's face-to-face, foot in a tire, nowhere to go. 
Yep. It's mano a mano. Who's going to get the best of the other one? And what it teaches you is, yeah, you got to be able to take a punch. You got to be able to stand toe to toe with somebody that you can't be scared. And it's one on one. Who who's going to get the best of who? And um, that's kind of what that last pillar means. We're going to be appreciative and humble and enthusiastic and never entitled. Um, but I'll be damned if anyone ever gets the best of me. Coach. <laughs> so that's a long version of our six pillars. But it's good stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff. So, uh, Mark, uh, can't thank you enough for your time. Sounds like you're transitioning to a little hoops practice tonight. So a great place to, to wrap things up. Uh before we let you go here, any any social media that you want to plug for yourself or your program here, so so folks can uh, follow the Arkansas Tech program. Well, they can follow us on Instagram. Uh, I don't have a personal Instagram account. I just have our team's account, and I'm bad. I can't even tell you what it is off the top <laughs> of my head. But if you just Arkansas Tech basketball and search it, you can find it. Uh, my Twitter is at m downey atu. Um, so we'd love to have you on there. Our, pro- our program also Arkansas tech men's basketball on Twitter as well. If you want to follow us, uh, we have an elite camp coming up on July 16th. So we'd love to have, um, have people come see our school. That's mm-hmm. what we do elite camp for. We come, come get a taste of college basketball and, and, um, you know, basically try out for our team and, and see our facilities and kind of get a, like a, a taste of what it is to be a college basketball player. And, uh, we've had really successful elite camps. We have a bunch of players that have come through our elite camps and been on our team. Uh, we do have a JV team as well. Um, so that's been a place where guys have been able to come through and, uh, you know, possibly make our varsity and become players. It's given high school guys that might not have an opportunity otherwise to play college basketball. So um, love to see you at camp, and uh, I just appreciate being on today. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, so many really, really good things here. Uh, just just I, I got I got a bunch of stuff, and I say this a lot. I'm really lucky. Uh, the best thing about doing this podcast is I get to talk to really, really smart people and learn a lot of things. And, and uh, you know, Coach, I, I, I just – a lot of terrific information today. So thank you very much for I your time. It. So I I don't know if I'm any smarter. I've just been doing it a long time, and I've stolen stuff from everybody I've been around. <laughs> well, 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 we're all either innovators or replicators. And, no uh, doubt. I'm a replicator. I'll a, tell you that. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> amen to that. So, well, hey, Coach, if you could hold the line a quick second here before you jump into basketball practice. Uh, Got to go over a couple things. But, uh, again, want to thank Mark Downey, head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Tech University, for coming on the podcast this week. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, again, download, rate, review this podcast. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Check out a pen and a napkin.com. A lot of great stuff there. And, you know, just, just thankful for everything that's been happening here with the, a pen and a napkin the last few weeks and months here. So, uh, again, thanks to Mark Downey for taking his time here today to, to come on the podcast. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.